You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Uh, I didn't, so I was kind of running around, I didn't hear Matt probably mention this, but if he didn't, so I'm not saying you didn't, Matt, I'm not accusing you of anything, but if he, did he mention the twice around Christmas parade? Did we talk about that? That, that, so that, we just found out that that's actually happening. If you haven't been to that, downtown Albany tonight, 5 p.m., listen, it used to just be once around, and then they decided it was so very good, let's take two laps. So here's the deal. You can come down for one lap, you can come down, you, you're not, I mean, you could probably even participate. We're, we're just watching. So here's the deal. Five o'clock tonight, it's something that our community does. We love to like partner with the things that our community does, especially like what's happening downtown. So we're going to meet over on Broad Alban Street, which would be like kind of the front of our new office space, if we haven't told you about that. Um, and so like a little bit before five, and we're going to collect down there. So if you got nothing to do tonight, I'll just say this. You're not living <laughs> rightly, right? Yeah, Mr. Gall gets it right there. Never called him Mr. Gall in his life. Um, you're not living rightly until you see not one lap of this but two laps of it. So join us down there, bring some hot drinks, bring your kids. It's going to be a good time. We got to jump in to first Peter chapter five, guys, we are like wrapping this up, right? We, we got one more week next week and it's going to be an interesting week for next week. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do, but you got to come. It's going to be unique. But for today, really for all like purposes, like we're kind of wrapping it up in terms of our exposition. Um, but, but if you think about the totality of first Peter and, and his heart, for the churches that he's writing to, which are scattered throughout Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, um, especially in chapter 4. If you go back and, and kind of reread that, what, what you begin to see is this pattern that Peter is developing and what he's really wanting to authenticate in the life of these Jesus followers is what does it look like? What does it mean? How do you like kind of move and act and live and breathe as you learn and grow in what it means to live together as a gospel community, uh, a community of people where, where that, what is central to you. Like there may be a lot of disparate ideas and beliefs and across every sort of political spectrum and ideology and like interests and like whatever, right? But the one thing that you have in common is this gospel and that's, that's stronger than anything that would separate you. It's what binds you together. So how do you how do you act and what does it mean to grow in that in, in light of this? And he holds this up, right? Peter, Peter would have us see that, that our present reality always has to be seen through the, the, the lens of like what God's doing, how, how, how God's going to culminate his redemptive history, right? And his redemptive plan. And so in, in some ways, Peter would want us to see like, just like Jesus, like we are living in, in what is like the end times, right? And so Jesus has got a lot of words in that through his gospel. And the one thing that we need to see in that is that Jesus calls us to expect that. He calls us to anticipate and prepare for his return, but he doesn't call us to predict it. He doesn't call us to like live in this window of like, when are we going to figure this out? So, so like we are living in the reality of that right now. And, and what he wants to be comforting to us is that we are a community of people that have far more in common than we do um, things that would separate us. And so, so the church exists, right, in this exilic nature during what is now this second advent, this, this, this season where we await the patiently but, but very fervently 
the return of Jesus. And, and so we should take great hope in that truth, both in Christ's position, in his ascension, which we see like in Acts chapter 1, right? Jesus ascends into these heavenly realms, and now he is interceding for us, his church, at the right hand of the Father. And that should give us great hope and comfort, but then we take great hope and comfort in his eventual return. Because what that means is that Jesus has not abandoned his church. He has not left us alone. And not only in his promise of return, but he's given us his Holy Spirit to abide in us. He's given us his holy word to teach us, to encourage us, to guide us. And he's given us, well, he's given us one another. He's given us one another to, and there's no other way. This is the way the Bible talks about it. He's given us one another to, well, to, to one another each other, right? So there's this long list of things like how, how we greet each other and how we serve one another and how we forgive one another. And so those are all supposed to be comforting realities, right? He's also given us the chief shepherd of his church, which is Jesus, right? Jesus is the chief elder of his church. But then what Peter wants us to see in this passage is that Jesus um, will give a derived authority to his under shepherds, right? Human leaders tasked with like the oversight of the church. So it's, this is a little bit of a weird sermon. Like I wrestled through this because in some ways I kind of have to deal with this reality of like, in some ways, like I'm, I'm kind of talking about myself, right? Like I'm tasked with this, I'm called to this thing, but I'm also talking about us and, and you guys and, and what this relationship is supposed to look like in community. And so, so there's no doubt from this passage and a few other passages that, that God did design um, human leaders and give them the task, but, but they were never meant to be the chief shepherd of Jesus's church, right? It's why in a lot of ways, like we, I'm not the senior pastor of this church. We, we believe that Jesus is. And so I default to his leadership, his authority every time. And so Peter's going to walk through this discussion today in what is the task of under shepherds, right? And so what is that task? Well, it's, it's this, to, to lovingly lead and protect and provide for God's people during our time in this world. So the New Testament refers to these under shepherds as, as elders or, or, or overseers or, or pastors, and those terms are all like interchangeable. Like I'm going to use them interchangeably today. So one caveat to that is, is this, like um, as the church has evolved and grown throughout like the centuries since its inception, of course, like, it's different than what it looked like in the first century. We go back to the book of Acts, and we can see how the church was formed, and a lot of those things are just describing some of the realities in the church, and then some of them, in um, those instances, God's actually saying, like, do these things, like, prescribing these things. The form of what that looks like, I think God's pretty open to. So, in, in some ways, like, that word pastor, right? Like, if I was to say, hey, let's, let's do some, like, word association, like, what is a pastor— um, my, my guess is this, like we would, we would come up with a list of things that, that are probably like how pastors functionally serve in the church. And, and those are probably all like needed roles and appropriate things for pastors to be doing. It, it may not actually look like the list of what the New Testament describes elders, shep under shepherds, or pastors to be doing. And so in, in some ways we've created like, and, and I think God's probably okay with this as long as we're still maintaining what elders are supposed to be doing. We've created this other thing in the term pastor that, that I would hold out like that, 
like while those words are all interchangeable, this role of a pastor is, is somewhat different than what elders are doing. And that's something that we've kind of created. So we've got to, in some ways, disassociate that word pastor from the conversation, although I'm going to use it very interchangeably. Does that make sense? Okay, so as we move ahead, a passage that we're going to look at, right? It's, it's meant to do this. It's like, it, it should reorient us to God's design of, of, about how his church is to be shepherded and led. So in these first five verses, Peter's going to define to us like how these human under shepherds are to serve and care for Jesus's church. So let me pray one more time and we're going to jump in and uh, might get a little uncomfortable, probably more for me in some ways, um, but I, I want us to see like really God's design in this. And so, so let me pray and we're going to jump in. Father, again, we just come humbly before you desiring um, that, that you would move and work amongst your people this morning. We pray that your word would go forth, um, that your gospel would be true and proclaimed in the lives of, of those of us that, that follow you. And then for, for those of us that, that don't, I pray that your word would come, come alive, that gospel truth would, would call us deeply into relationship with you this morning. We love you. Uh, we pray for our time here together. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's we'll walk through these five verses. Um, we're going to blow them up because there's a lot in them. And then um, hopefully we'll come out of here with uh, like an agreement. Like what, what is this thing that we're doing here, right? So verse one, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So a lot there, right? So it's pretty clear at first glance that, that like who Peter is addressing, right? He's, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to target this down now to a specific group of people within a gospel community, the elders among you, right? So, and that, that, there's a lot loaded in there, right? Because as, as Peter's going to walk this out, um, there's been attempts throughout history to kind of say like, well, we think what Peter means here is just old people, right? Like the old people among you. And, and in some ways that, that does qualify, like that makes sense, right? And like you look around this room at Hub City and, and historically we have not trended to be like a very young church. Like at one point I was the oldest person in this church, right? Um, in, in its inception. And so, so certainly like he, that, that comes with that, but, but he's talking about something more specific than just age, right? Um, because it doesn't really, to just go like, hey, he's talking about older people in the church, it doesn't seem consistent with the rest of his thoughts. And so while the church has evolved again in its structure and in its organization and in, in its form from the day that Peter was writing this, he still has in mind this. He, he means, first and foremost, he means those that are elders in following Jesus, right? So the reality is you may be younger than somebody in the church, but you, you may be an elder in how long you've been following Jesus. So certainly he means like, like just like time in with Jesus. Like, have you put time in with Jesus following him and submitting to him and loving and worshiping him? And, and they were, the, the people he's targeting here, they were probably also leaders in the sense that it was probably their homes that they were inviting these little local scattered gatherings, these ecclesias of God's church, these gatherings of God's people. That it was probably their homes that were hosting these things, these meetings in of the, of the church. And so then they were tasked with the oversight and the care and the provision of this fledgling church, right? Now, all of this is also important. Like, like Peter's saying, listen, as you face the sufferings in this world, as you face the fiery trials in this world, God's given you 
these under shepherds under the leadership of King Jesus to guide and shepherd the church. So the church is young here, right? You, you have to understand like everything is opposed to the church. And so like, is there anybody protecting this thing, right? The integrity of this thing and the life of this thing. And he's saying like, that's the task of these under shepherds. He, he also gives them a short list of his own like bona fides, his own credentials, like who is writing to them, right? And it, it's interesting but he doesn't self-identify as an apostle. P- Peter was an apostle. He was a sent one. So he's a, he's a follower of Jesus. He's an apostle. But he was also an elder in the church in Jerusalem. And so he knew what that meant. And I think what he's doing here is this. He's drawing a line of connection, right? And, and empathy to this like very small targeted group, the elders among you in, in the audience that he's writing to. So, so because why? Because he knows like the burden of joy, that comes from being called to shepherd the church. So I, by identifying, by simply identifying himself as a fellow elder, he's letting, letting them know that like, he's, he's not asking them in everything that he's going to go on to say. He's, he's simply saying, like, I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. That resonates with me, right? Like That's important. That's important that as I process that. One of my favorite quotes it's attributed to um, Lieutenant Ger- General Hal Moore. Um, I think I've probably brought this up before. If you've seen the movie We Were Soldiers once, so he was tasked with like transitioning the 1st Battalion of the 7th Cavalry from like horses to helicopters in the Vietnam War. And he's got a pretty famous quote, and he says, hey, listen, when we go into battle, I'm going to be the first one to set foot on the field, and I'll be the last one to step off. Meaning, I'm not going to ask the men under my charge to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. He was a very hands-on leader with that. And so, so in some ways, Peter's saying, listen, as, I, as I'm going to walk through the tasks that God's given you as under-shepherds of Jesus' church, understand that it's coming from a place of somebody who, who knows what that looks like. I've done that. I've walked in those shoes. And then the second qualification he gives for his readers is this. He says that he is a witness to the life and sufferings of Jesus. And, and while he is most certainly referring to the fact that he saw this firsthand, like there's that inference there, like I, I witnessed these things. I saw these things firsthand. But then there's another sense because the people that he's calling are, are not eyewitnesses. They didn't see it. So there's another sense in which he's identifying with his fellow elders. He's saying this. He's saying, like, we're all witnesses. We're all fellow witnesses, like an Acts 1-8 kind of witness, which just means this. Like, we will testify to the veracity of those details about the life and claims of Jesus, right? Even if you didn't see it with your eyes, the church now becomes a living witness to the truth of Jesus. So that's significant, right? Because Peter, like in his life, and we just saw this as it unfolded in Mark's gospel, Peter was once a denier of the truth about Jesus. Several times he denied the truth about Jesus, but now he's boldly proclaiming, like, I will testify to the truth of Jesus. And then lastly, he connects with them also by saying that he'll receive like the same eternal promise of glory. So in some ways, Peter is saying, like, I'm a sheep just like you, right? He's saying that we have these things in common. I'm an elder like you. I'm a witness to the suffering of Jesus just like you. And I'm also going to partake in the glory that is to come just like you. And so then he, he, he moves on then to outline the tasks of these under shepherds. Like, like, what are they actually supposed to be doing, right? So this is hopefully helpful for, for you that are like, what do our elders do, right? So let's just jump into verse two. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So 
there's a command to do something there, right? Shepherd the flock. But, but what does that mean? Well, we'll answer that here in a second, but I want to go to that last phrase, that, that is among you, right? So a couple things to pay attention to here. First, an elder is not called to shepherd their flock. Like the reality is this, you're, you're not my flock, right? You're not Matt's flock. You're not Steve's flock. Like you're not our flock. It's not our flock. Who does the flock belong to? What does Peter say here, right? The, the flock of God. It's God's flock. He is the shepherd, right? So I've, I've, got, a, I've got a buddy that, that when we hang out and ride bikes, and we used to serve together um, in my former context, and he's always like, hey, how is, how is your church doing, right? Which is a, a fine question, right? And I know what he means by that, but every time I, I, I want to kind of come back with like, well, it's not my church, right? So like the question, the premise is wrong, which, is, which would be a bit snarky, like, I know what he means, but, but there is something just so true about that, like dislodging it in my heart to say like, this is not my church. Jesus builds his church. Jesus governs and rules with authority over his church, right? And, and so, so it's not mine, um, but, it, but I've been tasked with the, the loving leadership and serving leadership of God's flock, which, which is scary at times. And, and at times it's like, it causes nervous and anxiousness in me to, to think about that. So there's a big responsibility, that, but, but ultimately I get a default to, to King Jesus, who, who, is, who is my shepherd, right? So it also means this, a, a local elder in a local gospel community is not responsible to shepherd other flocks, right? So, so I'd, argue, I'd argue this, it also means that, that, that you cannot be shepherded by an elder from another community, because it's amongst you. It's the elders among you. It's, it's meant to be communal. It's meant to be relational. It's meant to be like, let's sit down over a cup of coffee and let's, let's just listen and talk about this, right? So, so here's what I mean by that. Like you can tune, tune into your favorite like internet preacher, right? And, and listen, I get it. They're a hundred percent a better preacher than me, guaranteed, right? Um, and they may be like very generically like feeding you. And there's space for that. I, I understand that. But that's not shepherding you, right? You have to be known and vulnerable in community as your elders do also, right? And, and so, so I, don't, I don't pastor all the Christians in the world. I don't shepherd every single follower of Jesus in the world, right? But if you walk in this door and you make this your gospel community, then you are amongst our elders, and they are amongst you. So there's no eldering at a distance. You should know your elders, and they should know you. So, so then, so then what, do we, what do we mean by elders, and, and, and what do they do? Well, it's inferred in the name, right? A shepherd shepherds the flock. They care for the church as a shepherd cares for his sheep. So all throughout the Old Testament, because Israel functioned as an agrarian society, a common metaphor that was kind of laid over the people of God and its leaders was this metaphor of shepherding. It just made sense. Like they would walk past fields of sheep and shepherds. It was, it was a metaphor that they knew then they understood, right? So, well, what do they do? They tend to the flock, meaning they lead. Um, they lead the sheep to places of refuge and safety and protection and provision and lead them in maturity and, and mission. And, and a shepherd would have led his flock of livestock from pasture to pasture, where they would graze and feed, where they would be nourished and find respite, where they would be protected from like predation and, and, and enemies. And so 
Peter begins to then paint this picture of what elders do. Well, let me say this. If, if your idea of an elder is, and you only equate that to power and authority, like you may have the wrong picture of elders. Certainly there's a derived authority that comes with that, but we're not the ultimate authority in the church Jesus is, right? So, because the picture that, that the entirety of Scripture gets, like if you were to do a biblical theology study of the word shepherd, right? You'd even like start with like Cain and Abel, right? They're shepherding flocks, right? And you, you track that word shepherd all the way through the Bible. You don't end up with like somebody using their power and authority for abusive things. You end up every time with the picture of a humble, selfless servant who ends up bloodied on a cross for his sheep. So, so, so he does not wield his power or his authority over the sheep for his own gain. He gives his power and authority away for his sheep. So, so God would, would not want us, though, to think about power and authority like that's a challenging conversation in our day, right? Culturally, we get it. Like we, we hear those words and, and our first association is probably oppressiveness, abuse, right? Of, those, of that power and that authority. But I think God wants us to unseat some of that to say that like power and authority are not bad, right? Be, because, because clearly God has ultimate power and authority. Rather, we should think positively about power and authority when it's executed wisely, selflessly, and for the empowerment of others. And Peter wants us to begin to relate to the shepherds in that he's tasked with shepherding his flock in that same way, that those tasked and trusted with leading and loving and serving Jesus's church are those who care for the church. They love and care for God's sheep, and they do this in and out of season, leading and feeding them through the difficulties and sufferings of this world with God's word and protecting them from the predators, not only in this world, but, but also in the church. So, so this, is, this language is, is, is so, like, it, it, it's most importantly rooted kind of in this, like, bigger than and, like, broader picture that the Old Testament paints of God being the true and faithful shepherd of Israel, most famously, like, painted out for us in Psalm 23, right? But then there's places like, like Jeremiah 23, um, and this is so significant um, for our conversation today. God promises in Jeremiah 23 that he's going to regather his scattered sheep, right? And he says this, then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all of the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold. So that's all shepherding language, and they will be fruitful and multiply, and I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they, will fear, they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. So that's all wrought through with like shepherding language. So Peter's exhortation then is for his fellow elders to tend to the flock that God has appointed them. And what he has in mind here is almost certainly the role that individual leaders played within these scattered churches throughout Asia Minor. So, so without question right here, Peter ends any sense of possession in this, right? By stating that it is God's flock, it's not there. So, so Hub City, this is not my church, right? It's not, it's not your church. Like in a sense, of course, you might have conversations and go like, oh, my church is Hub City, but, but it's not, like it doesn't belong to you. It's, it's God's. And then he continues with what 
to actually do? Like, what does this actually mean for elders to be eldering? Well, it starts with this. He says, exercise oversight, which simply means this. By pastoring, eldering, or shepherding the church involves both leadership, meaning like actually leading somewhere. Like, where are we going? right? And, and then direction. Uh, so under shepherds have genuine authority in their calling, but again, it's a derived authority. It's given to them by the good and faithful shepherd, Jesus. And the implication is this. We are all like sheep in that we are easily distracted. We are so impulsive. We're prone to wander. And like sheep, despite knowing where there is true food and living water, man, we'll peace out in the opposite direction every time something shiny is dangled in front of us, right? Like, like so we need oversight. We need, we need people that have their eyes on the ball and kind of go like, this is, this is it. Like, we're, we're, we're going to dive deeper into the gospel. Like, that's the direction of the church. We want to live faithful lives to the gospel and the mission that it demands of us, right? So we need that we need eyes on that to kind of say, like, this is where we're going. And, and listen, I know that like, it's a difficult truth to grapple with, right? Because in all too many cases, like, I had so much trepidation and, like, hesitation about the words I was using, and, like, do I have to apologize for these words? Because here's the deal. Why is this so sensitive in our hearts? It's because we associate leadership so often with corruption and abuse and misuse of that authority, um, incompetence and selfishness, narcissism and exploitation, right? Like those are probably words that when I say leadership, like pop into your mind, right? Most of us can point to a time when we've probably been deeply hurt by a leader. That could be a teacher, that could be a coach, a politician, unfortunately, even a pastor. And so, so we're very, we can be very suspicious of leadership, and in some cases, like rightly so. And in some cases, we're like most suspicious and of and, and untrusting of leadership in the church. And it seems like, I mean, in my lifetime, like I, I, I couldn't count how many failed leaders within the church or how many stories of abuse within the church. Like, and so we have to live with that. We see that. We know it, right? Um, we never hear about like stories of like, hey, like, like it, it just doesn't make sense, right? Like you're never going to find like the new cycle filled with like, pastor shows up and faithfully preaches the gospel, right? That's, you're going to find the stories of failure, right? And so, of course, like, it's just in, and we're inundated with it, um, but there's more faithful shepherds that love the kingdom, love God, and want to serve his church, right? So, so I, I think it's so difficult for us to wrap our minds around this, is that we still have to embrace this idea of being led. First and foremost, by King Jesus, our good shepherd. Like, if you're opposed to King Jesus's leadership in your life, then the rest of this is kind of a wash, right? It's a hard conversation. And so, of course, like, we have to embrace that and, and trusting and submitting to leadership, first of King Jesus. And then we need to understand this, that God's not anti-leadership, but, but he's most certainly anti-bad, corrupt leadership, abusive leadership. He, he's not on board with, right? So, so if we're going to be if we're going to be cared for, like a shepherd in the first century would care for his sheep, which is a clear and fitting metaphor throughout the Bible, then we need to commit to and we need to entrust ourselves to a gospel community that is led by faithful, godly, and selfless servant shepherds. So, so ones who, like the good shepherd, will love and lead God's flock, even if that means like they end up bloodied 
and beaten on a cross, like the good shepherd did, right? And, and if the shepherds of God's flock are tasked with exercising oversight over God's sheep, then, then what is fundamental to any gospel community is that community trusts and is willing to follow their leadership. I don't have any more pleasant way to say this. If a Jesus follower like doesn't want this or see this or like get this, like they're unwilling to submit to this or they don't think that they need servant leadership over them, well then they're just saying like, I'm a sheep that's going to go it alone, right? I'm going to figure this out on my own. But, but unfortunately, like as, as Peter like is soon to point out, there's a common enemy lurking in the shadows and their desire for you is not holy or good. And so God would call us to submit to each other and submit to the leadership that he's tasked with leading his church. So should be one of the first questions. Like anytime we're like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go out, like we call it like church shopping, which is probably not the greatest word. But when you're, when you're out trying to find, like, is this a gospel community that, that like God would have me be a part of, right? All too often, like we just we just ask the wrong questions about that, right? Like, is the kids' program any good, right? Is, do they have something to keep my high schoolers entertained? Like, what type of worship do they do? Those are, those are fair questions, but they're not the most important question. What should be of utmost importance is, is who is shepherding that church? Who are they, and, and are they living their lives under the leadership of King Jesus, right? Have the elders given their lives over to the authority of Jesus? Have they submitted themselves to him? So unfortunately, all too often, we view leadership wrongly in this area. Even when we ask like questions of our leaders, we tend to ask the wrong questions. Um, Paul David Tripp points this out. He's got a great video um, that I watched about a year ago, and he basically says this, like, we don't, we don't need to invent or define, like, a new model of leadership for the church. Like, we have it. We have it right, like, in passages like this, we have it. Um, we elevate, all too often, unfortunately, like, worldly leadership definitions and values, right? And he goes on to point out, like, we want a strong personality. We want them to be quick-witted. We want them to be decisive and definitive. All too often, we just want them to simply be Jesus for us. We expect our leaders to both create and execute vision. Um, and all of those things may be great, but it's unfortunate because often those characteristics that, like, church search committee, committees put together, like, in a candidate, like, what do we want in a candidate? It's often those things, and they look more like a qualification of a CEO or like a, of a Fortune 500 company or like a politician. And, and they look much less like the New, the, the New Testament describes and defines these qualifications. And so he goes on to point out that what that leads to, and we see it all the time, is it leads to abuse. It leads to narcissistic leaders in the church, shepherds who bully and, and coerce their congregations versus shepherds who love and serve and lay down their life for God's sheep. So, so then Peter moves on, and then the rest of verse 2 and verse 3, to kind of reveal to us, like, what should this leadership, like, what do they do? What does this look like? And he does this by illustrating three ways that shepherds are to behave, but then he also gives, like, kind of the converse of that. Like, these are, these are like, negative things that we would not want. This is bad behavior that you would not want that authority can often lead to, right? So the first thing is he does this. In verse 2, he says, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So here's what he means, right? Listen, like, if you have to hold a gun to somebody's head to get them to elder, 
that's not what you want, right? Like, it's dangerous to entrust people to leading when they don't want to or don't feel called to, right? If they are being coerced or bribed or forced to lead in some ways, it's already put them in a compromised position. It reveals also something about their character if they choose to do that, right? If you're willing to bend here, where else are you willing to compromise? So the church needs and should affirm individuals who are already shepherding in these gospel communities, right? So, so they're, they're serving and they're loving and they're leading God's sheep. And they're doing that without recognition or title or fame. Like if you just want to be an elder in the church because then you can start eldering because you have the title and the perceived power to go with it, according to Peter, you're automatically disqualified right? So, so God will use those in his church that are already caring for and loving it. And they're doing it not because someone asked them to, but because they believe that they're called to regardless of position or title. So, so important, right? Like when you go to those passages in Timothy and Titus where they kind of list out qualifications for elders, I, I think we look at those things and we look at those lists and we say, well, if I want to be an elder, if I feel called to be an elder, then I should step up my game to try to meet those qualifications, right? And, and that's a fatal flaw for anybody here, right? Those are not a list of things that you have in your life and you try to achieve so you can be an elder. Those are things in your life if they are true about you simply because you follow Jesus. Like the, the list in Timothy and Titus are something that every Jesus follower should ascribe to, right? And so if those are true of you, then you are qualified to be an elder. So every person that calls Hub City their home, their gospel community should look at those inventory lists and go, that's actually the direction of following Jesus that my life should be on. That's the trajectory of following Jesus. And if those things are true about you, you're, you're qualified potentially to be an elder, but then there's this whole thing of calling, which we're not even going to go in today. So you may be qualified, you may not be called, right? In which case, nobody should like under compulsion, force you to do that. And then next, Peter addresses an issue that unfortunately is like all too common in churches in our culture, right? Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, right? So in our culture, like here's what this looks like. It looks like prosperity pastors, like preying on the poor and the marginalized in, for their own gain. And, and, and they just have hundreds and thousands of people under their sway. And, and most of them are deceived to give what little they have because they're promised if they give this gift, this seed of faith, God will grow it in their own lives. But the only people that get wealthy are these like con artist preachers, right? So you should not do it for wealth or gain. Here's, I, there's so many examples of this. I, I think this one's fairly safe. Like I'm not, do you, do you guys know, this is Gwen Shamblin. Um, and I just recently watched a documentary about Gwen. Um, she started the Way Down Workshop in the 80s, and then she planted the Remnant Fellowship Church. She is no longer with us. She passed away, I think it was like last May. Um, she has built thousands and thousands of people out of millions and millions and millions of dollars. She fits every, unfortunately, every negative qualification in this list, right? It's a cult. It's a Christian cult, and she got wealthy. She did it for shameful gain, right? And so we need to pay attention to that. Sometimes it's not money. Sometimes it's fame and recognition, power and influence. None of those should be your motivation, right? A shepherd is compelled to shepherd God's flock whether they are paid to do it or not because it's the thing that they simply cannot 
not do, right? Like, I, there's nothing. Like, for me, I go, yeah, I, I, I can show up and, like, fumble my way through some bicycle repairs. I could go do that. But that's not the thing that I can't not do. Like, this is the thing that I can't not do. And so, so listen, of course, a gospel community should care for and it should invest in those that are called to shepherd the flock, right? Like, that's a fair thing to do. Those of us that are called to, to vocationally to this thing, then it's biblical to compensate those elders that are called to more active and full-time ministry. But that elder should not elder just to pay the bills. Like if it comes down to it and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing next, but I got to figure this out because I got to pay the bills. That should not be your motivation to be an elder in the church. They're called to shepherd whether the gospel is received or rejected, whether they're paid or not paid, right? So then finally, Peter challenges his fellow elders to this. He says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, right? So let's just start with that last phrase. He calls them to be examples to the flock. Well, examples of, of what, though? Examples of, like, like think about our elders. Like, is, is this called, like, so for Steve, is Steve to be an example of, like, how to be a nuclear engineer, which I think that's what he is, right? And also, like, one of the least socially awkward engineers I know. Is that what Steve is tasked with being? Is Matt tasked with being an example of how to tell stellar dad jokes all day long? Am I tasked with, I don't know, just like how to be a mountain biker. Like, that's not the example that you're called to follow us in, right? So what is that example? Well, there's a few like um, things that we need to, to think about. Like what are we to be an example of, right? Because that question is actually a little flawed, right? Because it's more who are we called to be an example of? Who are the elders in the church called to be an example of? And of course, the answer is, is Jesus, as a Jesus follower, right? So we should be tracing the footsteps of Jesus. And as a community, you should have confidence that you could point out any of the elders here and say, like, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's a person that's following Jesus. And Peter's negative way to point that out is he says, do not be domineering, right? So in Mark's gospel, and you have to think like, as, as Peter's writing this, he saw this scene unfold. He's probably the one that told, hey, hey, Mark, you should write about this scene. Mark chapter 10, 42 and 44, he says, and Jesus called them to him, and they're squabbling about who's going to be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. And he says, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. They're domineering, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you should be your servant, right? So he's already setting up leadership in the church should not be about being domineering, about authority and power. It should be about serving. So what it means to be an elder over the she or shepherd over God's sheep is to be compassionate, is to be selfless, is to be caring, not lording their authority over the flock so that they abuse and oppress them, but, but using their authority to elevate and serve the church. So, so power no more today than in the first century is addictive, right? It's addictive. It leads to unworthy motives. It pollutes decisions that are to be made under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Instead of seeking God's agenda, power-hungry church leaders pursue their own, doing what they can do to increase their reputation, their fame. And instead of leading by dominating through power, Peter urges the elders in the church to lead like Jesus would lead. So, I mean, I hope and pray like none of our elders become domineering, right? I've suffered 
under this. I, I, I have, I'm going to be clear. Not the context that I worked in in Corvallis, but another context. I worked for a narcissist and suffered under spiritual abuse. Domineering, right? Just classic textbook narcissist. Um, and you can see when somebody's pursuing that, when their motivation is to domineer the people around them and how unhealthy and how that just leads to abuse. And so God's called and affirmed shepherds to be followable, right? Because, because they look to Jesus as their example and they actually follow it. And that's never through oppression, tyranny, abuse, or by being domineering. So then Peter carries this out and he goes down, we jump down to verse four. Right? And he begins to reveal this promised blessing of what's going to come. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So, so when Peter was writing this, right, he's talking about this crown of glory. It's common practice in Roman society for like athletes or military leaders. They would receive this crown of the ornate crown of, of flowers and leaves. And so it dignified them and their accomplishments. But of course, over time, it would fade and wither and ultimately perish. So whether it's a crown or not that, that Peter's talking about, he's encouraging the elders to work for eternal things, not temporal things, because in any earthly reward, fame, power, influence, wealth, recognition, empire, none of that lasts. But when the chief shepherd returns, he will reward those tasked with shepherding his church. Peter's kind of saying this, listen, as an elder amongst God's gospel community, you're probably never going to get fame and glory and recognition for that, nor should you want that, because that fades, right? What I'm going to reward you with is eternal. And then verse 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves with all humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And Peter in this final exhortation here, right? It's directed to everyone in the church, old and young and elder and congregate. And he says this, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, right? So, so everyone here like is called to be, like this doesn't work unless we clothe ourselves in humility, right? Um, and, and depending on your place in that community, of course, that's gonna look different. Elders show humility by leading and ruling and, and, and in their leading and in their ruling, following Jesus, right? So a congregation shows humility by, by following and, and in their following, elders show humility by feeding and teaching the word of God. And so this interactive thing, right? And so ultimately what Peter wants us to see and recognize here is that we are fundamentally called to humble ourselves, all of us, right? And submit to King Jesus, which then finds its expression in humility towards one another by fulfilling like what God has placed over us in, in, in the various roles that we have in a gospel community. But I want to be clear. Christ is the chief shepherd and the overseer of our souls. He rules his church and he governs his church and he guards his church he leads us and he feeds us. He feeds us with his word. He feeds us with bread and wine. And when we eat the bread and when we drink that wine, we proclaim his death until he comes. So throughout 1 Peter, the appearing of Christ has animated and motivated everything that Peter's talking about. Jesus' return 
is the motivation for everything that Peter is writing. So set your hope fully on the grace that's coming. Rejoice as you share Christ's sufferings so that you can rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The chief shepherd is going to give this unfading crown of glory to the elders who are shepherd well. Pastoral ministry, endurance in trials, the Christian life as a whole, those are all to be animated by the living hope that we have rooted in the death and the resurrection and the return of our good King Christ, which we proclaim as we go to the table this morning.